hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Kanja Book Club, the weekly Utini podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars stories together one month at a time. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and for the first time in like a month and a half, the OG crew is here, and it feels so good. Oh, let me tell you. First, we have the man who is now three weeks into marriage life, Patrick McIntosh. How are you doing? You look still alive. Yeah, I'm three weeks in, and I'm actually making this marriage thing. I've learned that when you get married, you just become your wife's house pet. <laughs> she takes me out for a walk in the morning. She pets me and put, gives me like a blanket on the couch, feeds me. And then, you know, if I pee on the floor, she'll hit me with a newspaper. What's the problem? It it sounds like sounds like things are working out. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> so I have a vet appointment next week, guys, so Good, I'll good. You got to get up to date on all your shots and everything. Yeah, I think it's the rabies this time. Oh, gosh. Well, someone who is most definitely up to date on all the shots. Actually, I don't I don't know. I don't know much about your personal life, but we've got Adam Dyson with us. How you doing, man? I wish I was better up to date with my shots. I, don't, <laughs> I can't see a vaccine happening for ages here, but um, one day. One day. Guys, I actually got mine this week. Uh, my first COVID vaccine. I am super excited about it, too. Uh, my arm hurts like crap, though. Um, I haven't been able to sleep <laughs> for like two nights, but it uh, it feels so good. On the on the path I'm to sure. going to see a movie in a the theater again. Like, honestly, I've missed that so much. I can't wait. <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, I like to procrastinate, Tim, and the world just kind of did what I was already doing. Yeah. I don't really want to go back to the theater. <laughs> That's fine. You and you and Corey. <laughs> Patrick's got equipment falling on him and breaking. The the world's falling apart. But it's okay, guys. I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing so well. <laughs> yeah, look at somebody. We're vaccinated and everything. We're not even gonna talk about the fact that Liverpool is eighth right now and the the table. Um <laughs> we've had a we've had quite the tremendous fall from grace. <laughs> Uh, Everton sitting at, at what sixth, and then uh, Man U's in second right now. Like, what's going on? The the tables have turned. <laughs> and we ended City's twenty one win streak. <sighs> yeah, I I don't like I I don't like how all of this has has fallen on me. Um, someone I can't remember exactly who it was. I don't think it was Cad Ben, and I'm I'm sorry for even bringing your name into this if it wasn't you. <laughs> but someone in the sports <laughs> channel was like, it might have been Rob. Let's be honest, uh, talking about how everything started to fall apart whenever I joined Liverpool's squad. <laughs> uh, it might have been Deej, honestly. And I just remember thinking, like, hey, listen, look, I I, I joined right after. Um, we lost arguably our best player, our best defender to friggin' ACL injury, right? And here I am, like, I wrote it out for a couple of weeks. We were doing great. And then everything just falls apart. I hate it. There's, I think there's a correlation, Timothy, with how your your own real life is just getting getting better. You know, you got a new I job can, that you love. I can only you got have... vaccinated. Something has to... Something has to give. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, two nice things at the same time. Like, yeah, uh, United has to ruin something for me, and my college team has to suck. But 
every now and then, but hey, like the personal life's good. I, I kind of feel like Anakin. I've been granted, uh, you know, a seat on the council. Just I'm not <laughs> not master. <laughs> I can have almost everything, but something's got to. Right, so, so what you football? So what you're saying? It's Mace Windu's fault that Liverpool are losing. It is. It is. <laughs> I can take that. Oh man, it feels so good. New Man United coincidence? I think not. (laughs) Feels feels so good to have you guys back. Uh, Have everyone on the same call. So good to see your faces. So good to hear your voices. Um, And so glad to have all of our friends listening to us as well. Um, We are live in Discord every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and our episodes hit the Utini Patreon feeds every Tuesday morning around midnight. However you end up listening to us, we're so glad you're here. Um, we've got quite a few updates. Um, first, let's talk about some Utini ones at large. I am super excited about this first one. Um, Utini is launching a brand new comics project. This is going to be one of the coolest things we've done in a very long time. Um, it's going to be called The Cosmic Force. Um, it will be a live video stream show on YouTube, just like The Living Force and Legends Look Back. Uh, more details on that will be coming soon, uh, but definitely keep an eye out for their opening date towards the beginning of April. Really excited for everything that they've got going on. Um, it's going to kind of s- uh, spin out a whole comics wing of Utini, like content on the site, um, looking into some affiliate options so y'all can help us make a little bit more money on your comics purchases, like all of that. Really excited for it. Um, and Piggybacking on that, we are launching the Utini Podcast Network. Um, More details are coming soon, but basically in April, all four shows, uh, live shows, so that'll be The Living Force, which already has its own podcast feed, Legends Look Back, which already has its own podcast feed, The Conja Book Club, and The Cosmic Force are going to have our own podcast feeds, which is super exciting, and a lot of our Patreon content, so things like... Uh, Bounty Hunt and um, Cafes and Star Wars Archives, they will all have their own podcast feeds as well um, on a delay. So some of those things will still air on Patreon as they have been, but then on a three-month delay, they will get a release to their own individualized podcast feeds on Spotify and iTunes and all of that. So the Utini Podcast Network is coming and it is going to be huge and so much fun. We're working on some collaboration amongst the shows, trying to actually like, I don't know, be professional, be friendly towards each other. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Guys, are you excited? We have our own thing now. Our own flipping streaming service. We should be a Roku channel. We we need our own device. Can you imagine how how dope it would be to have a Utini vaporator sitting next to your TV and it streams all of our content to your TV? This is yes. I'm I'm bringing it to the council first thing after <laughs> this show. <laughs> it's it's your automatic Patreon um Patreon membership right there. It's nine ninety nine. Yeah, you. Oh, no, but if, no, no, we, I need a new microphone, so twelve ninety nine. <laughs> but if we were on Roku, then no one would listen to us, right? You're right. Does anyone have Roku? <laughs> hey, wait, hey, 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 I got a Roku. I got a Roku TV, man. Those things are great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I am, I'm so excited. Chris says that his roommate has Roku. Um, I, I had one for a little bit in college. It worked out well. 
Um, I'm glad that I got rid of it, but <laughs> it worked out well for a time. However you're listening to us, that's all that matters, as long as you're getting us. <laughs> oh, man. Well, on the Patreon front, we have some tier updates that will be announced soon um, that will also go into effect sometime right around April 1st. If you have any questions when those things go out, um, don't hesitate to jump into our all-patron channel and Discord um, if you are a patron or send us a direct message on Patreon. Um, we are so incredibly grateful for all of your support, um, and we can't wait for y'all to see all of the fun things that we're working on. Um, and then our book schedule. So we've never been this planned out in advance um, ever, I think. Um, we are trying as a company to do better about having things on a calendar, um, getting our event schedules together um, so that we can plan some more collaborations and things like that. Um, but y'all, we have our books somewhat figured out all the way through June. So in April, um, Patrick got the W um, officially last week. Adam, I'm, I'm interested to get your comment on this here in a moment. Uh, but Patrick got the W and we are reading Into the Dark by Claudia Gray in April. Um, Adam, we brought we talked about it last week, but that brings our overall record, I believe, to three and three and to you at one. Do you have any comment? You know, <laughs> the term conspiracy, Timothy, gets thrown around all the time, and it is a conspiracy against me and my interests. But I take the the solace that you are no longer winning, and that makes me feel good. Let's. So, Patrick, congratulations. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I will um I'll I'll let you have that for now. Um only because Everton has surpassed Liverpool, I will give you that it only makes it only makes sense that I'm tied for first instead of being first alone with our, our book club selection picks. So yeah. it's just it's kind of rude that you, you, you win so much, Timothy. It's it's just yeah, at, sometimes it's nice to see something different. You just like to watch the, my world burn, <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So yeah, so um, Chris asked a good question. So yeah, April we're covering *Into the Dark* by Claudia Gray. In May we are covering *Thrawn: Ascendancy: Greater Good* by Timothy Zahn, the second book in the Ascendancy trilogy. And then in June. We're going to be covering another Age of Limited comic series. Um, the poll, I believe, is up in the bookshelf, either the Age of Rebellion or the Age of Resistance. So go in and vote for that right now. You'll have one week um, to do that. And then once um, we get all those votes in, we will announce that next week um, on which specific one that we are covering. And then we'll take a brief break. We'll, we'll do just like we did in December um, for June. We're going to cover um, the heroes one week, the villains one week um, in June. And we're going to go off for a couple weeks, take a little bit of a break and recharge and then come back with a whole new slate of books. So very excited about that. So April Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, May Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good by Timothy Zahn, and then in June we're going to be covering one of the Age of Limited series. Poll is up in Discord in the bookshelf. Make sure to go vote for that ASAP. And then last week, Adam, we missed you. Uh, it was fun to have Aiden and Chris and Jared uh, with us in the chat. So glad um, that we got to all chat about all that. Even Tom from Del Rey popped in after the show to talk about 
um, how many of the Star Wars voice actors are avid Star Wars readers. Um, that was something that had come up in the conversation um, throughout the show. Um, like we talked about Vanessa Marshall. She uh, tweeted how excited she was about Victory's Price. And it's like, that's so cool that our actors are um, like listening and reading a lot of the same stuff that we're doing. Um, maybe they'll stumble their way into our book club sometime, um, which I wanted to ask this question of any of the Star Wars actors uh, that may be avid book readers, who would you most want to have on the show? Not that this would ever happen, but we're just, you know, we're going to dream for a bit. Uh, what, what voice actor would you want to have with us? Patrick says Mark Thompson. That's a good call, sir. Any reason in particular? Childhood. Oh, wait. You were Matt Lancher. Ooh. Can it be all voice actors? Like, if you not yeah. in the books? Yeah. Anybody. Sky's oh, the limit. I need to get a beat. Adam, you go first. <laughs> Me go first? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hayden, <laughs> Hayden Christensen had a cameo in the final arc of the Clone Wars, so Hayden Christensen <laughs> voice actor. So, so Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Your honor, I will count it. <laughs> in the law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sam Whitmer mm. is a solid choice, Chris. Because I know he was Maul. Wasn't he in an audiobook as well? Yeah, he um, voiced a couple of the stories in the Clone Wars Light and Dark um, uh, anthology book. So, yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. would be amazing. Mm-hmm. He seems just like, for someone who's had like so much peaks in his six in his um, professional career, someone just said he's so down to earth to talk to. Like, I feel like we could sit around and have, we'd end up being hammered by the end of the night, but we just like talk back and forth for like four hours. It would, it would and be, we're all leaning over a table, just, it would be the longest Conjure Book Club episode in history by far. <laughs> Cause he's, he's just like us. At the time, I mean, would we be able to hear us after three hours? Probably not. Like, this would be a lot of slurred words by two and a half hours, Mark. He'd probably, like, introduce some drinking game or something. Oh, God. Probably. Like, buddy on the podcast? He'd probably join in and he'd be spliffed out of his mind. Yeah. The funniest thing ever. Probably. I I would love to have Ashley Eckstein on the show. Gosh, if we could if we could talk to Ahsoka, I would lose my mind. I would absolutely lose it. <laughs> um, what about Vanessa Marshall? Oh, my Get gosh. On the show? Please. We know that she... Star Wars. We need Hera and Ahsoka mm. together. That's that's what needs to happen. I've heard people like run into Ashley Eckstein like down in like California or something. Mm-hmm. Like near um like when she was at um Galaxy's Edge. They say she's like the best thing to talk to. Like she'll talk to like any fans about it as long as they're like you know not pricks. But she's like very fun to talk to. Yeah. No, Chris. I've heard nothing but like great things about her. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Chris asked a good question. He said, "Utini's becoming so big. Is it possible to get someone like Ashley Eckstein on the show?" I don't know. Maybe I, I would imagine that uh, Living Force would definitely get first dibs. Uh, you know, just uh, I, and I would totally let them have that. <laughs> uh, but who knows? Maybe one day we can put it put it on the dream board. But Timothy, you're yeah. You just do that budget towards us. You're right. Well, not well, not us. even like. Timothy would have access, Patrick, to the Zoom link for that call. We know it. He's on the exec team. He'd have access. He could just slip, slip, you know. I could pull some strings. Just... <laughs> Junk and all. Hello, Ashley. I mean, you could also make it as a 
mashup episode. Uh-huh. Yeah, see? Uh-huh. Solid. Come uh-huh. on, man. Yeah, the first mm-hmm. book we ever covered was was the book that you narrated yourself in, Ashley. So it's only fair that, yeah. that, that we talk to you. Exactly. I don't know. This is ideas like this, Patrick, that, like, you know, like just jumping into author interview or author interviews, actor interviews, unannounced and uninvited. I don't know why we, these ideas don't get us on the exact theme. Hey, I'm just saying. <laughs> I will. If you don't go for what you want, you don't get what you want. So we just got to barge right in after what we want. I will say yeah, that's. Dungeon Book Club asking for forgiveness, not permission since 2020. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you'll remember, if you'll remember, I'm the one that suggested months ago that we blow up the foundational five <laughs> and change oh, see? it. See, <laughs> so who knows? And and you wrote a collection, Timothy. You're one step closer to realizing your dream of changing the Utini foundational five. <laughs> You're right. You know, what? you are absolutely right. I'm going to I'm going to put this on my personal dream board and uh that is here in my closet behind me somewhere and uh we'll get it done. <laughs> yep. We are in. <laughs> oh god. Guys, we are so far from not talking about Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price. We should probably start talking about it. I thought we were reading Shadowfall. Oh. You know what? I am so sorry. If you need to hop off, uh, let me just boot you from the call real quick. <laughs> oh man, alas! Uh, I I joined joined the Utini Council and I can't I can't demote you on Discord. That's unfortunate. I really am like Anakin, granted a seat but not given the rank of master. God, this is so sad. I feel for him now more than I think I ever have. <laughs> Uh, well, let's get into it, guys. This week, we are covering the chapters, or the chapters. We are covering chapters 8 through 13 of Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price. This is your spoiler warning. So if you haven't read the book and you plan to do so soon, continue at your own risk. Alphabet Squadron is in shambles at the reveal of Quell being alive, but knows that Shadowwing is headed to Chidawa. Chas and Will talk about Endor, Luke and Vader, forgiveness... The unspoken betrayal of Quell. Hera can't even afford to think about her. Quell is rattled from flight and revealing herself to her old crew. She plans to use the mystery ship that she got from Shadowfall for a mission. Above Chidawa, in the midst of a dogfight, Chas tries to bait Quell in the 204th. When Erika's ship bails, Chas and Kairos blind jump after her. And when the planet's particle rings expend their energy, Shadowwing is inside, Alphabet Squadron is outside, and a waiting game begins. Quell heads to the Natalich system. She's got five passengers with her from various components of Shadowwing. Her task is to find an engineering specialist droid to help her with the corpse of the Emperor's Messenger. She finds the Surgeon, and we learn that the Messenger was a computer filled with emotion. More like loathing. uh, More than data. It had databases of information inside. Formulas that determined who the worst of the worst in the Empire were based on things like loyalty, resourcefulness, family trauma, past kills, involvement with interrogation, and something called MDC Count. What up, Midichlorians? When she gets back to their apartment, she is stunned by her crew and everything is laid bare. The crew heard Chas's message against her, and now, with the messenger's body, it's just all adding up against her. They lock her in the bathroom, and then Chas and Kairos arrive and start shooting. Quell breaks free through the bathroom window, but Chas eventually finds her and gives her a real beating. They manage to escape on the U-Wing, but wind up stranded in space with their hyperdrive down. 
And while all of this is going on, Will and company attempt to, uh, to slow Shadow Wing's plans for destruction. In between skirmishes, Will starts broadcasting stories on their shared communication line, and soon others jump in, even some Shadow Wing pilots. There's even some singing involved. It's beautiful. Eventually, the Deliverance watches a Chidawan satellite fall to the planet and decides it is now or never to attack. They go in, but Shadowing was prepared and forces Hera to order a retreat. Will holds the rear and then issues a challenge to Soren Keys directly. Duel in space. Loser goes home. Soren agrees and they duel in a battle of skill, chasing each other without harm. Nath watches from afar and takes a Y-Wing squadron in to destroy the raiders that are dismantling the satellites. They get one, but the Chidawa Imperials turn on both the Y-Wings and Shadow Wing. Keys decides it's time to wrap up this duel with everything going crazy, um, and he wears Will's shields down just enough that one more blast ought to end him. The A-Wing goes down, but a seat is ejected. There's no way to know if Will's alive because of the timing of it all. The Keys blast the area as best as he can and reflects on who Will is, slash was. He's one of the good ones. Someone not born a fighter. Someone who deserves peace. Guys, what a wild set of chapters. Um, the first seven kind of like took their time building up. I feel like like most of the Alphabet Squadron books do. Um, but opening thoughts, Patrick, what did you think of this section? This is, like you were saying, it's kind of night and day from the first few chapters we covered because this is a very slow burn. Like it took a while to get the fire started because... <laughs> To be honest, I was kind of bored with the first five chapters. I was like, oh, Lord, this is... Come on, I thought this was supposed to be, like, the dramatic finale here. Like, you're making me want to cut off my audiobook and switch to something else. But, hello, stick around for the second half of the game, and you're getting fireworks, baby. Yeah, it was absolutely wild. Adam, what'd you think? And obviously, we missed you last week, so feel free to throw in some of your thoughts on everything we've, we've covered so far. Yeah, I definitely think the first part of this book was was a bit slower but you're right Timothy I think it's just the formula that these books have gone in um and I think that's primarily because it just seems to be more character driven than it is about uh say your aircraft versus aircraft kind of dogfight your, your major military battles and like it definitely kicked up a notch in the second part but even like these these space battles especially the duel and like it serves a purpose for that character-driven story, right? Like the character of Keys and, and Will Lark and why they're there and what they're doing. Um, and like at the end of that duel, duel when when Soren does have his little monologue and he, he talks or he thinks that Will is a good guy, like that duel was though epic. It was there to serve the purpose of ca- taking the character story forward. Alexander Free just has this ability, it seems, to take these action-packed stories but still wear them down to a psychological level. Like even uh, Twilight Company yeah, is is amazing, and it does exactly that. Um, I think a lot of people put it into the video game territory, but if you were to take Battlefront 2 from the title, it'd be something as good as this. Right. I highly agree. That, that's one of those things he has always, Freed has always been good at. Um, and Twilight Company, for me, it was so tough to get through because, you know, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, a lot of stuff happens, but it doesn't really feel like anything truly changes. But that's because it's a book on war. <laughs> um, and these characters, like, lives are lost, friends are found, 
every, there's so many people, so many moving parts, but he does such a good job at getting into the hearts of who these people are. Um, and that's, I think, what makes, you know, while some would see it as like technical and kind of distracting, um, like it's just, it's really rich if you care about characters. Um, and I think that that's definitely spotlighted here. Um, Chris says he has not read either of the Battlefront books. You need to do that as soon as possible. Um, Battlefront 2 is the uh, Inferno Squad is probably one of my favorites. Um, it is a prequel to the game, and it's just so cool getting into some of those characters' heads. But let's talk about Victory's Price. So, um, Patrick, we'll start with you. You know, Quell's specific mission is basically to find the heart of the messenger, like its purpose. Um, what did you make of, of this mission and the end result? And what do you think is the grand play at the end of this? Like, what's she going to do with that info? Honestly, I just thought that this whole thing was like a setup for once she's going to find out something like a dastardly evil that we it's kind of obvious about like the Ember one and two is just a setup for something like a chaotic way to get out and back to the New Republic. Mm. That was my whole thought on this. Like, oh, this this is like the beginning of the end for her at well yeah the beginning of the end um for her in the empire okay that's a that's a good point adam how about you what are your thoughts on this yeah definitely like i yeah great patrick like this it was hard to see this mission there were too there's too much risk in her position with mm. the imperial crew i think um especially Chaz, you know um doing her little trick of getting on the open comm i thought that was just really wonderfully done and yeah, I don't. It's nearly. It'd be impossible to go with that team and that not to rear its ugly head. Um, yeah, but it's, the mission itself, like the heart of the, like I remember first seeing this messenger in Battlefront Two, um, when he speaks to the uh, the admiral and and you start finding out about Operation Cinder. It's just, oh, it's haunting. What? It is terrifying. <laughs> and to and to and what that game was, um, twenty seventeen. We first played that campaign. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't included in Twilight Company, and then we've seen it pop up here and there, and now we're in 2021, and we're finally finding out, potentially, what that messenger is all about and how that messenger works. So, yeah, this has been five, five years in the making, which is wild, um, and that, that that stupid messenger has been horrifying me for that long is ridiculous. I'm glad we're, we're, we're maybe finally seeing it come to an end. You know, and one of the things that the messenger inspires um, in some weird, some weird ways is loyalty, right? Like people are, are unyielding to the emperor um, and shadow fall. We saw like people were literally worshiping it, like offering blood sacrifices to it pretty much. And I was, it's crazy. It was crazy for me to see that people like Kendende, for instance, like would sacrifice himself into indentured servitude to a planet full of droid rulers on behalf of the emperor like it creeps me the f out <laughs> like like heck no man like that kind of loyalty is um is just wild i hope that no one's ever that loyal to me i'm just gonna throw that out there <laughs> please don't <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's wild. I loved everything um, about that, how creepy it was, um, the amount of information that we learned, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. But um, let's go to the duel, because I think it, it's, it's the other main 
part of the plot, um, kind of at large specifically. Adam, how, how did that hit you? I mean, you've touched on it a little bit and, and finding out, you know, that it's just character building and, and growth. But um, why do you think it happened? Like, like, why does Will offer the duel? And do you think that Keyes was right to go along with it? I do. I think Will is a man of peace and uh, Soren is a man of honor in his own way. I think that this duel... It serves a purpose on both sides. Will can see it as potentially ending this conflict with the, the 204th, and Soren can potentially, you know, take out the leader of the, of the enemy. Um, I loved it. I love seeing this kind of leader versus leader battle. I think I, it's an old it's an old world tactic, like you see it in the yeah like medieval times, ancient times. You know, we've seen it in film before between, you know, you watch Brad Pitt and Troy, and he fights Old Mate on the Greek battlefield. And then we see it on the king on Netflix, Timothy Charlemagne. You know, he he fights as the English prince to to save you know thousands of lives. Um, and I think for Will, it's hard. Like, imagine, well, you know, we're going to get to the end of this series of chapters, and and Will loses. Mm. And in the end, Will said that if I lose, we will we will leave, and you can do whatever you want to this planet. So I can imagine how Will's feeling right now. Yeah, if he's feeling and anything. Well, yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. He could be dead as well. Um, and then you, you know, we have Soren, who, despite winning, still, you know, he sees that he can't win. And he leaves anyway. Yeah. So. The, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, there's a question to me too of you know does Soren definitely has the authority to um to command the respect from his followers from everyone underneath him and it seems like they will go whenever he tells them to go and in fact we see that like they start to bail when he says we're going to go ahead and bail even though um the i'm going to say bail one more time and maybe bail organa will show up but um (laughs) (laughs) shout out to eric out there yeah um but you know they do leave whenever he says let's get out of here even though the planet hasn't been fully destroyed yet but will like does he command that kind of of leadership like whatever he says like they'll do like do you see Hera sitting there on board the deliverance going yeah will is clearly dead so we're gonna wrap it up and go home um i don't know what what do you think about about that specifically adam oh there's definitely a lot on the line to make that type of decision right like you can agree to that duel but once you're out you don't know what's gonna happen because yeah, you know, you've, you've taken yourself away from that scenario, and you're right. Hera could go, uh, "No, we will protect these people," and I think that is probably what she would have done in in the first place. Uh, but Will has his ideals, and you know we've seen that over the, these last three books. Is that he has his ideals, he has, and he doesn't he doesn't sway from them. So he makes a decision, just goes with it. Yeah, Patrick, what do you think about all this? <laughs> I didn't think Will is the type of, he's not the type of um, commanding officer that really, he has that come, like, you know, that presence of authority to him. Like, he's in charge, but everyone always questions or feels around him, is he really in charge? Like, he's got the badge, but it always feels like, is he really the guy in charge? Mm. And from how this book is set up, it always feels like, yeah, he's got the badge that says he's giving out orders, but it always sounds like 
he's just like relaying stuff that Hera says, which is true because you know Hera's actually in charge. Um, and you can actually tell from how um, Jazz how they respond to him and how they respond to Hera. They kind of see her as in charge more so than anything. It hit me really interesting because on on one hand, like I think this duel serves multiple points, right? Like I think that Will issues this on one hand because he's exasperated. I mean, the things that he mentioned as to why he wants to have the duel, everyone's tired of losing lives. Um, everyone is just frustrated, worn down. They want this war to be over one way or another. But then he's also using it as a stalling tactic, I think. All of this book, this whole series, but especially this particular battle, this duel, it's all mental. Like, Will getting on the comms and, you know, trying to spark conversation and trying to get Shadowfall, you know, or uh, Shadowwing to to jump in. and, And, like, he's trying to wear them down. He's trying to find some way to throw them off their game, to make them care about the other whoever's on the other side um and a lot of that's on keys too like the only reason that keys goes to fight right is because will finally said the right thing um which was a brutal paragraph to read from will you know this super good boy who's like it was me that messed you guys up in the um, you know in the Ordal cluster it was me that messed you guys up on troy um and it was me once again who's been causing the majority of this damage to you just sparking that rage within Shadowwing. Um, and that's just, it's really interesting concept to me that he would use this as knowing that when he said those words, that Keys would agree to it, that it's all a giant stalling tactic because everyone's eyes are going to be on this duel now, regardless of whether things are going to go the way that Will says they're going to go, like one side will pull out or not. Everyone's eyes are watching this. And that gives Nath the ability to sneak off and try to blow up one of those raiders. I don't know. I, I, I loved it, Patrick. I do think a lot of this was Key's call Will's bluff. Because mm. Will is not... Let's be honest. Everything we see in Will, he is not the person that should be going into a duel in a winner-take-all-to-the-death scenario. No, he's the last person I'm sending because he cannot finish it off. Mm. Interesting. No, he cannot. He is not the person to finish one off. You need somebody who's going to be downright insane when the time comes. You know, like, you got to be kind of ruthless because if you want to win in a situation like this, you got to be able to finish him off. Yeah. That's... Do you believe Will is someone like that? Man, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, and I think that's the thing is that there's so many questions about where he stands. You know, last week we talked about, like, he could go AWOL, like, before this, before we know whether or not he lives or dies. Like, like he's one that could go AWOL uh, just because it's too much, because he's tired of it. And it's weird because we see a different Will. Um, I can't remember who commented on it in the Victory's Price channel uh, that we have, but like even Hera doesn't necessarily seem herself, but it's because she, she's tired. <laughs> like it's a whole different ball game here. But yeah, I, I think you do bring up a good point that Will might not be able to finish things, even though it seems like he's grown a bit more accustomed to the give and take and to the chase. But um, let's kind of pivot for a minute. Um Let's talk about, you know, the, I guess still around the duel, but let's talk about 
the situation above Chidawa anyways. Um, the particle rings and the radiation and everything involved around it. It reminded me a lot of episode one. Uh, I'm thinking of Duel of the Fates, you know, when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are chasing after Maul and you get those little red beams of walls that are just kind of like they close and Obi-Wan's like, dang it, I was almost there. Um, and then, you know, he has to watch through one of those as Qui-Gon dies. Like it's a whole thing, but it's very stop and go. Um, Patrick, did you find, even though it's different, but like, do you, did you find this effective um, with the way that they have to commence this battle and these dogfights, you know, uh, waiting on these particle rings to do their thing. Yeah, I did feel like that was a good way to build up mental tension and a good way to put in just, like, the anxiety of the whole thing and just, what's that, the calm before the storm or the, the eye of the storm where yeah. it's calm between this hellscape going on around you? That's what I always took this part as. I got you. Adam, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And I just liked the idea of the mission having to be completed before, you know, the rings closed off the New Republic's ability to stop shadowing. I thought that was just uh, just the wait. Like, you, as you were reading, you were hoping, you were hoping that they would stop them. And then when you get to the point of it closing off... <clears throat> Imagine, like, I just put myself into the New Republic shoes, being on the outside and having absolutely no ability at that point to stop, uh, from, stop, to stop shadowing from making that planet inhabitable and, and killing 500 million people. Like, in a way, you failed and your failure could potentially cost half a billion lives. Yeah. So just like the build up, the, the con, the, like the build up to it. And then when it happened, you're like, oh, oh, that's just, heart-wrenching yeah it it was a really neat way to to structure the battle um i loved what it did from a writing standpoint to give us a break in in the story every now and then so we could you know flash back and forth to um everything going on with quell and and chas and kairos too um i found it effective on a lot of different fronts um and i'm glad that that freed was able to use it and yeah i think above space i mean the the mental wear and tear of having to stop and go and stop and go and stop and go like I think it's kind of like a car, right? Like you burn more gas in your car from having to, to come off of a red light than you do, you know, cruising on the interstate for three hours at a time. I mean, not specifically quantity wise, but, you know, having to, to rev your engine again, it's going to burn more gas than other. And I think it, it's really interesting to see what kind of toll that takes, um, especially on Will and probably what leads him to, to have the duel go after all. Um, let's jump over though and talk about, uh, Skynet. Um, sorry, wrong franchise, but <laughs> what did you think of the droid revolt? <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the droid revolt, um, over in the Nedelich system? Like the droids just took over the planet when they found out the empire lost. Um, this reminded me very much of, uh, L3 and solo, just if it had gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> um, Adam, how did that hit you? It was like pretty confronting wasn't it i guess like in a way the organics on that planet had had clearly treated their droids as as indentured servants or slaves and it seems to be a galaxy-wide problem um and to see the droids then to like not only revolt but then to kind of reverse it and put the organics into a servitude role um 
All right. So on so on the on the record, you are pro Skynet. Okay, check. <laughs> I am pro uh, like. He is pro with, meat like. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of HK. Love it. Um, yeah, it's meat just get back to work. I think that's something that Cannon's probably done a little bit better. Um, mm. Not that I've read a lot of Legends, but just the idea of the of how the droids work in the in the Star Wars universe, and you know how like, how far do you go before you call it indentured servitude? It was definitely <clears throat> cool to see like a droid revolt, um, and then it was definitely confronting to see them just turn it around and just reverse roles. See. And because it's clearly like a reverse of roles, because you've, like you had the visitors, right? So Quell yeah. and their team arrived, and they weren't put into servitude, but they were just visitors to the planet still. Mm-hmm. However, those organics who lived there were now the servants. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Patrick. See, my thing about like when he was saying about you know like the protocol droids that have some sentience is that sentience or is that adaptive? personality programming or would that be the kind of the same thing mm. but i felt like since you were manufactured you were created for the purpose of said things that you are you know carrying out kind of do like you mm-hmm. it's like if the car has like automation it's like no the car's not a person can the car can the tesla talk back yes can the tesla autopilot through like la traffic absolutely the tesla's still my car <laughs> well it's a little bit it's a little bit like like r2 right like we read in air to the um, air to the empire you know he has been so connected for instance with luke's x-wing that no other droid can cut through all that <laughs> because there's just been that kind of a deep relationship there um, so I, I think it's definitely some advanced programming and eventually you kind of take on your own thing but i love that at large like droids have always been viewed as the other in star wars like droids have always been the um the mis misrepresented underrepresented peoples um and i i do like that little piece here but no, I, I love that whole thing. I loved how creepy it was. The the surgeon droid is a was terrifying. If I saw that in television or especially in like give me an R rated Star Wars movie at some point, please. But like that thing would be absolutely grotesque, I feel like. And the way that you could tell Quell was kind of like shuddering through all of it. You've got the like the drone droids that are going down the street with blow torches and stuff, try like make like they've been turned into weapons um instead of tools. Like that that whole concept is just wild and I it is really, really cool to see. But let's talk about Chas and Will. Um they have a conversation that I think this will this this conversation I think will will bleed into the rest of the story, and I think it'll bleed into um, a lot of outer, external conversation for months to come when talking about this book. But they have a, a conversation on forgiveness, um, and as Will gives this beautiful telling of what it was like after Endor, and he sees um, Luke like off you know to the side like we see there in the end while celebration is going and vader's on the funeral pyre um and there's this that they talk about this invisible line right to forgiveness um and can someone do too much that is un that eventually it becomes unforgivable um is there a line where it's too late to forgive somebody um and do you think that luke was right 
to forgive Vader. Patrick, let's go with you first. Yes. For number one, Vader did save him and the rebellion. Mm-hmm. So he does not throw him down that reactor shaft. And yeah. He's the rebellion may have taken an L at Endor. Let's be honest. Number two, I have a quote here that I saved that um, it made me think of this very moment for this show, and I saved it, so I was telling myself I was going to use it. And it talks about how Anakin thinks he never switched sides. He still thinks he's fighting the good fight. He thinks He thinks that the Republic was weak, and that's why it became corrupt and fell apart. He thinks he hates himself because he couldn't save everything that occurred around him because he wasn't strong enough. Mm. He did what he did out of a desperation. You know, like when getting into Vader, it's uh, you have to get into a lot of tortures, traumas, a lot of just, like the messed up childhood, kind of the messed up adolescence and the mistreatment all. It's a long, it's a deep well to get into a, is too Vader too far gone? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but before I go down that rabbit hole, I will say, no, Luke was not out of line in forgiving his own father. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Adam, what do you think about all this? Is there a line where it's too late to forgive somebody? And do you think that Luke was right to forgive Vader? If that's what happened? Uh I look at it as forgiveness is subjective. Um, so Luke, in that moment, forgave his father, and we know, and you know, we've seen we see the scene in in episode six, etc. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that Will has to forgive Vader, right? He doesn't. Mm. He wasn't. He wasn't the. Te- he wasn't there at the time of his death. He doesn't know what happened. And even if he was, like Will may choose to still not forgive. Vader. Mm-hmm. I think it just comes down to a subjective line of thinking um, that it's up to that individual to forgive or not to forgive. Um, like for me, if I if I was in Luke's shoes, I would I would probably forgive <clears throat> Vader as well. And he's not really even forgiving Vader, right? He's he's kind of forgiving Anakin for the choices that Anakin made mm. to become Vader and then to to do everything that that Vader did and Luke. They gave his father not the suit, um, and like yeah, so that's how I look at it. That it is up to the individual, and and Chash clearly takes a lot for Chash to forgive, and there are and there seems to be a line for Will, and that's okay because they're their own individual. Yeah, Patrick. That goes back to the idea also of Anakin and Vader. They're two separate people, regardless of whose body's in the suit. They're still two separate people. Yeah, you make a great point there, but exactly, like, uh, Will, if Will knew Anakin, maybe that's a little bit different, right? But he only knows him as Vader. He doesn't really probably know that Anakin's in the suit at that point. Um, we're not, we're not in bloodline territory. Um, where they yeah. start to find out. And when Will, yeah, we're not, we're not there yet. Uh, so all he sees is this monster that the rebellion has, like, just rightfully pumped out propaganda because he was a monster yeah so it would be impossible yeah well and you think about you, you. I mean you bring up Bloodline and you bring up 
it brings up for me Leia and her conversation and all of this. Like she will never be able to forgive Vader for torturing her the way that she did or the way that he did. Like like some of that stuff, it's going to leave a scar. It's going to leave a mark. And I wonder, you know, Will and Chas are obviously talking about Erica here, um, about how she has betrayed them and in what ways they don't even know yet realistically how she's betrayed them and, and whether she even did at all in, in, in some shapes and forms. But, um, yeah, for me, I, I, I think there, there are several ways that you can define forgiveness, um, as well. And maybe that's, you know, a very subjective thing from my particular point of view, but I think it's something to, um, Luke, maybe recognizing the humanity invader, um, on the other side, like, yeah, someone did turn good. Um, there's also, I think the thing of, of consequences. Um, I, I am totally for forgiveness all on board with it. You could do something absolutely horrible, terrible. Um, I will forgive you because I know that I have made mistakes too. They may not necessarily be as severe as, you know, some things that someone else may do, but severity also can be very subjective. However, I don't think that forgiveness also entirely equates in the real world to um, an absolvement from consequences. And so I think that there is something to be said of can and should Will and Chas forgive Erica for the way that maybe they she's betrayed them quite possibly. Maybe that's on them to decide but even if forgiveness does exist there, I want to see Quell still have to live with those choices. I don't think I don't think forgiveness is has to be the exact same thing as total absolvement in the in a real world context. <laughs> like, you know, you Vader wouldn't have been able to stay alive and, and you know, live a happy life in a garden, you know, on his own after everything that he did. To, like someone would have put him down. Um, we regard like there's no trust there and that's what we see in bloodline when they find out that leia is his daughter like there's no forgiveness there like she's cast aside and has to live as a as an outlier pretty much right so i don't know i think that's a a really deep conversation that's going to happen for a long time and people are going to have a lot of different feelings about it and i'm all for it i love this book is making you think about those things um because that's not that's not something that is very evident in star wars all the time like it's a particular type of redemption, right? It's yeah. Star Wars loves its redemption through death, and we don't get to see redemption through life. We don't get to see redemption through consequence and and redeeming oneself with good acts to come. Like, um, and like I'd love to see more of that. I love it. Um, just with everything that that comes with. Yeah, Patrick. Also, would like to say that the biggest difference to me in these. Two examples of Erica and Vader. Vader seemed like at the, he felt like he had nowhere to go. And in a lot of ways, he didn't. So when everything came down to it, what do you have left? Lean into the monster that the Empire wants you, the Emperor wants you to be. You know, you have nowhere else, nothing to turn to. Just lean into it. You know? Yeah. I never felt Erica had nowhere to go. I never felt like she was stuck in one way or the other, even even with like the war crimes, I feel like there was she was never forced into one thing, you know? 
Mm, it's all been a personal choice for her. Yeah, it's more so she doesn't want to face her own music and face her own her own uh, consequences. Vader technically did that already. Because mm. he... Because if you think about it, Anakin hated being Vader. Mm. He hated being Vader. He, did, he hated being in that suit. He was living his... More... In a way, he must have been... Um, he was living his own consequences. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for he sure. He's annoyed for Vader to have an itch like on his back in that suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, you know, let's let's talk about Quell. Um, what is going on with her? Um, have you enjoyed her arc? And like, what what is going to happen with her next? Like, I, there's a lot of conversation I think that we can have within this, but like, she is very much making her own decisions by the seat of her pants. It, it seems like um adam have, have you enjoyed her character and and what do you think is going to happen with her i have enjoyed the character arc and honestly i think it's for me it's hard to tell what's going to happen to her uh, i don't know whether she will die i don't know whether she will live i don't know what side she will live for uh, she just has this ability to to change like she she got on that ship to destroy it and to destroy Shadowwing from the inside and then she has these monologues all throughout the fir- these 13 chapters of am I doing the right thing um, I'm getting to know these people on a personal level again do I want to kill them uh, you know she's understanding what Soren's trying to do he knows that his people can't go back to a normal life he knows it he just and to keep them going he keeps them fighting and she I think she starts to see like some good in that a little bit um that he's trying to save them does she want to save them so it's really interesting to see where her story goes it's just i think it just is a is a testament to how alexander has written her character Mm, yeah i i agree with that she's been the one of the more confusing characters and i think this piece of the puzzle is really helping to she's she's a loose cannon <laughs> um in a very different way than chas is um patrick what do you think about quell um and have you enjoyed her and where do you think she ends up i think she dies in some sacrificial manner to like you know complete the redemption arc it's, you know like you said kind of about redemption in a lot of ways but um i have been really enjoying her her character arc almost like her paranoia her just like the mental ping pong she's got going on in her head. Yeah, she is so unsure of herself. She really is. And it's just like, you can see it's just racking her mind. Like, she's on the breaking point. Do I feel bad? Not really, because she kind of did it to herself. But is it fun to watch, like, entertaining to listen to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, and Chas... Does that make me bad for enjoying this? Mind your business, lady. Mind your business. <laughs> well, and then, you know, on the other side of Quell, you've got Chas and Kairos who are, you know, blindly jumping after her. Um, and then when Chas finds her, they, she absolutely gives her a whooping. Like, she just puts the smack down on her like I haven't seen in a long time. And then they try to escape with her. Like, like, like what are they doing? <laughs> they they are making it up as they go as well. Like, part of them wants to kill her on the spot, and then part of them is like, uh, we're let's take her hostage and let's take her back with us because she's one of us. I I don't know. Like, Patrick, what's what's going on with them? 
That sounds like sibling love, man. Mm. Like, like they are it... badly wounded by a very close and personal relationship, right? Right. And it's just like, oh, two brothers wrestling and somebody tries to pull a WWE move from the top of the couch, elbows in the back. Oh, mom's coming. All right. Be good. Be good. We can get out of this. We can get out of this. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't matter that you broke your shoulder, but come on, come on, we'll get up, we'll get up, come on. But don't cry, mom's coming. Don't cry, mom's coming. Oh, well, nope, mom came in. She's going to give us something to cry about. <laughs> That's basically what's happening, and Hera is clearly exactly. mom. <laughs> Hera just comes in and takes her space belt off. Everybody gets the whooping of a century. Goodness. Adam. I just realized, sorry. You're good. I just realized, I wonder if Ezra ever got, like, a woman for talking back. Because technically, he's a kid. I, I think Chopper took care of that for him. Because I feel Often. like Hera's not, like, fair enough. But I'm just saying, Hera's not the type to be, like, hearing mouth from a kid. And mm. no, she didn't get to be a general from hearing mouth off from a child. Hey, which... Especially in her own ship? No! Who is he talking to? Which... Like, it's this little high yellow boy shut up for I drop him face first from the atmosphere back on the planet <laughs> yeah Chris says you treat him more like a son yes and sons get whoopings for running their mouth hey I will say though we do get a really cool moment briefly with her and Nath in the empty hangar right just taking a, a view of everything and she mentions that she has a family to get back to um, she's got a son that Jason that that trying to work with. Um, I loved that little bitty mention there. Um, and I, and then earlier in the the last section, we got a reference to Kanan, and I was just like, ugh, the the gut punches are killing me, and I need to know more about their family situation, and I need more Jason. But Adam, what what do you think? Like, what is going on with Chas and Kairos, and and their treatment of Quell, and and what what's going through their head? I think it. I think that's different for both of them, right? I think Kairos, there's something like there's a lot going on there. Like, I if Kairos was to find Quell, I, I don't think that we would have seen the beating that we that we were a witness to. Uh, and I think for Chas, it's it's more than just bringing Quell back because now she has to deal with the fact that she's potentially going to bring Quell back to Hera, and Quell's going to be a mess physically and. Like we both know, we all know that Hera does, is not going to accept that um, at all. Mm-hmm. But I think for Chaz, it's there's something there's something there. There's a there's a personal connection that she has for Quill, and I don't think that she likes having that connection. Like we saw in Alphabet Squadron and Shadowfall, that those two get quite close at certain times, and I think that what Chaz sees as betrayal really, really is affecting her. Um, and I think she takes it out on her in that little room in the hangar. Because, um, like I said, I think I think it's moved from bringing back a a wayward pilot to potentially bringing back someone that she might have I don't know loved. Um, like it's really it just seems to be going in like a really strong direction. And that story between the two is yeah, it's quite it's quite a lot. Yeah, it's one of those things where it seems like Chas never really knew what she wanted from Quill. Like she was, she's too prideful to admit that she actually enjoyed Quill's company. And then when Quill turns around and betrays them, uh, when you realize she's not actually dead, uh, she's hurt by it because there was something, something close there. 
um, yeah, I'm really interested to see how all that shakes out, assuming that they can get out of, out of their weird jam in hyperspace. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about is just the emperor. Like he looms over all of this. Um, obviously we're, we're tied in with, with aftermath books at this point. We're tied in the battlefront two campaign. The fact that this man has a database somewhere filled with names based on a predetermined rubric for evil. Like what does this say about who he is as an emperor, as a leader? Um, Adam, go for it. What, what more can you say? Like he looms over the entire saga. These stories are within the Skywalker saga. He is the puppet master. And <laughs> it's just the idea that he has this, this droid is this database. Like it just fits so perfectly into his character that he would like, it's basically, it's just in a way like he's there for blackmail. Yeah. It's either it's there to blackmail someone. It's there to to have operation Operation Cinder happen. Like it's it's his little his little black book, right? Like it's yeah, it's like, his little yeah, black book of work here. I I need someone to do something dirty for me. Let let's go to this. Who is the worst of the worst? Who who's who's and or maybe if it's not something I need, you know, super bad. Like Mara Jade is probably on this list. Let's be honest. Um, but it's like yeah, it's like. like it's like who who are we gonna who are we gonna call? Let's see. This person has thirty seven kills. His family hated him, and he was beat as a child. Like it's wild. Yeah, it's just. I think of actually of all his plans, right? Like this this one in particular has just is pure evil because this is like one hundred percent the empire itself was just a tool for him. Yeah, and he and he used that tool in a spiteful bit of rage in the end. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of. Y'all ain't ish. Y'all let me die. Now y'all gotta go do this. But we don't want to. Well, this is what you get for letting me die. Sorry. Like, now, now, like, like, like if, if you guys played the, like, if you played the Battlefront 2 campaign, like, he goes to the Admiral and that, like, the droid goes to that Admiral and mm-hmm. that Admiral, like, goes to destroy his own planet. Yeah. A planet that has a statue of him in the courtyard of the Imperial Academy. And so the droid, this database, knows that he was willing to do that. The Emperor found that information, put it in, or so like a team put it in, and they knew that they could go to him and get it done. Go yeah. to Admiral Versio, destroy your own planet. It's, okay, cool. it's sick. It is absolutely <laughs> heinous. It is so disgusting. But I, I think that leaves me with, you know, the final question, which is, Erica now knows because she destroyed the data, the data chip. She is the only one that knows where this central database could be, or at least the first piece of the puzzle to try to find it. What is going to happen now, knowing that this database is in existence? Like what could, what could someone feasibly do with it? Uh, I got an idea. Okay. All right. So, so we, we know that how Soren feels about the New Republic and why he's fighting and he doesn't want his people to fall into the hands of the New Republic. So I, I think that he kind of knows a little bit about this droid, that he's perhaps not telling Quell, and Quell's going to confirm his suspicions. That's how I'm seeing it. Mm. So 
I think that he wants to get because he's putting so much effort into this that I think he wants that database. And I don't think he wants to use that database. I, I like to think that Soren is working to destroy it. Hmm. All right. And if you're on the side of the New Republic and Erica gives you this database, mm. what do you do with it? Do you destroy it? Do you use it as a hit list mm. to pre? I mean, you're pre-selecting targets to go ahead and eliminate or to like, like a, what do you do a, with it? That's a slippery, it's such a slippery slope, isn't it? Because um they're not the rebellion anymore like i think it's in the book you can't they can't just take people Mm -hmm. they can't just take imperials and throw a raggedy green uniform on them and away you go like they have to they have to keep to a governmental ideal so to you if they were to have that database they probably have to act on it um like there's there's going to be people in the hierarchy of the senate and the new republic military who are going to be in that database who potentially were involved in actions and battles that they didn't really want known like you'd have to probably arrest them you'd have to throw them in jail potentially have to execute a few people like yeah it's it's, it has it has the ability to kind of if the new republic were to act on it to to kind of destroy the new republic because the new republic is built from a rebellion and that rebellion is built from defectors etc yeah the the moral implications stabilize yeah exactly like how far do you take it and again it comes back to our forgiveness conversation right we like i think we can agree that forgiveness is more subjective than objective mm-hmm. um but you don't get to be subjective in the government you have to kind of try and be black and white yeah patrick what do you think of all this honestly i have feelings like my theory may be wrong but i have a feeling that this whole thing's going to subtly introduce Exegol hmm. or some other um, planet that we see in the sequels about, you know, like, you know, tie everything together, but I want to go a little few more chapters to confirm my suspicions. <laughs> yeah, I I see this, you know, it and trying not to spoil anything in Aftermath, but... Um, you've got a character in there, Yup Teshu, who is very much loyal to the Emperor. And I, I believe that's who it is. And there's a whole thing about something that is on Jakku. Um, and there's a whole system, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. There's a lot there, and I'm going to try not to go into it anymore. But I, I think that this is leading to... I think that whatever this is, is why the New Republic goes to Jakku to fight the Empire. Um, I have no real basis for that, but I have a feeling that this piece of the puzzle is kind of the thing that says, let's go do this. Let's get this taken care of. Um, I don't know. I don't know that that's legit or not, but I... I'm so fascinated um, and, and really pleased that we get this little this little trinket, this little piece that's going to carry the rest of this book. I think, um, there's a lot that can happen here and I'm, I'm really excited to see how it all plays out. Uh, but Patrick of this section, favorite moments or characters as we wind down the show, what, what stuck out to you? Um, one of my favorite moments was when they started talking to shadow wing over the calm. Mm. Just I love that idea of like, Oh yes. Talking to the enemy on, on, on the other side, putting names to, uh, you know, 
gun almost. And it reminded me of you ever heard of the Christmas Day truce of World War One? Yeah. Yep. Yes, that's kind of what it reminded me of. Except there was no gifts, nor there, was there a soccer game, in which, by default, it was a soccer match between England and Germany, and Germany probably won. <laughs> that yeah, that that is a really really special moment. Um, Adam, how about you? Favorite moment? Favorite character so far? Uh, probably uh, there were definitely some big moments in in this part, but for me, I think it was just when it all started to dawn on Quell the database and what it was and just when it all hit her i think there was very there was a very good monologue in there about you know her again her involvement in the cronus and and this this database this emperor holding this information and that she and the 204th were deemed sadistic enough i think that that word was used to do what they did yeah and like the guilt that just adds to her already complex um, guilt and grief-stricken storyline, and I think character-wise, like a character moment was um, right at the end when Soren potentially, you know, he could have killed Will, and he acknowledges what Will is and what we all kind of know is that Will is a man of peace. He's not a man of war, and he's just killed a man of peace. And that respect that Soren has for Will at that point, I think, was quite nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I, I, I agree with you. There are so many points to choose from. Um, I'm going to go kind of random and say that I've really enjoyed watching Nath Tencent's evolution um, throughout the trilogy. And especially he has some really cool moments in, in this in this section where he you know talks with Hera in the hangar. And then he has the moment where he's in the Y wing and they're having to take the long way around to, to sneak up on the Raiders and um, he sees and listens to what Will is trying to do and causing the duel to happen. And he just like smacks his hands on the instrument panel. He's like, damn it, kid, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and I, I, I love that that moment from him that you see, like there's, there's a gooey cookie in, in, in the midst of him. You know, he puts on this brave face, um, and this hero of the new Republic and he wears that around time and time again, but to get to see that there's a, an extra layer to him, that he does actually care about this squad, about this team. Um, and in particular about Will, like he likes him. He's a good kid. Um, and for someone who's been, you know, who is a former Imperial, um, you know, officer, uh, pilot, you know, whatever the fact that he was on the other side and he has this deep respect and this deep care and to see him trying to lead in, in the ways that he knows how, um, at, and being in charge of the new Republic, uh, intelligence in a way, like, you know, Hera had that conversation with him about figuring out what comes next. Um, you know, could he sit behind a desk and, and help make good decisions and, and be so, a trusted advisor? Like, I, I'm really interested to see where he ends up, especially in all of this. He's experienced so much and his um, his loyalty has never really been in question, but we've always had questions about him. Um, and I, I think he had some especially cool moments in this. So it's all good. It's all good. This book is really kicking up. Um, Freed, you know, we've, we talked about it at the top of the show, like Freed is just excellently revealing, you know, why these books matter. Um, and the way that he has crafted it has just been so cool. But 
that is going to do it for this week. Thank you to everyone listening um, and for participating um, in the Conjure Book Club. We will be back next week to talk through Victory's Price chapters 14 through 19. Um, in the meantime, you can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at underscore T. Guthrie. Adam is at DarkstarAU, and Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. It's so good to have you guys back this week. So good to get the gang back together. Now, if you want to help support the show, head on over to Teeny.com, look up Victory's Price, and click the Amazon link on the profile. They'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content. You will find links to Victory's Price and April's book, Into the Dark, and I will go ahead and throw May's book up as well, uh, being Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good. Those will be in the show notes and in um, the Start Here channel in Discord. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some sick new merch at utini.com forward slash merch. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. Thank you to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. May the Force be with you, everyone.